0: Welcome to the Mission Driven Mom podcast. This podcast is for moms just like you, who want to learn how to glorify God through finding and embracing true principles, discovering and developing your greatest gifts, and using them to serve your family and community. Hello, everyone. I am live here with Ann Schlafly. So honored to be with her, the daughter of Phyllis Schlafly. An incredibly incredible woman who I knew a lot about, but I didn't know a lot about Anne. So super excited to have you joining us here. This is Anne Schlafly Corey. She is the chairman of Eagle Forum, which is an organization founded by her mother. I don't know what year Anne will have to tell us. Um, It kind of in the heat of battle with the ERA. It's a volunteer organization made up predominantly of women. Um, across the country who want to affect legislation around the family. All right, Anne, welcome to The Mission Driven Mom. So excited to have you here. Tell us a little bit about
1: yourself. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be on your uh, show. Uh, I am, uh, you know, The nature of uh of families is that you you want to choose your parents well and luckily i got the lucky set of parents and i'm the youngest of six children and my mother was an extraordinary woman and it is an honor for me to work in um the organization that she founded and to work side by side with the women who worked with her for so many decades she was an inspiration and a role model and i'm happy to tell the real and true story of Phyllis Schlafly. i awesome.
0: Oh, so happy to have you. Um, first of all, I just wanted to, to hear a little bit about your childhood. What was it like growing up? Uh, it was with- exciting. It was
1: tremendously exciting That's because awesome. I grew up in the heat of battle in the 1970s when when the Equal Rights Amendment was the dominant issue, cultural issue across the country and widely debated and, and uh, talked about during that time. And my mother did everything from her home office. She didn't go out anywhere to an office she worked from home which meant that our phone rang from morning till night with uh, fo- calls from supporters or the media or just anybody she was she um, part of her success was that she always made herself available and i think i think it's kind of amazing but our phone number was always in the phone book and we were always reachable and she always wanted to answer the phone and talk to people and that's what was my, what my childhood was was this excitement of being engaged in the political battle
0: wow so I know that uh, one of the, I've watched several interviews with her and things about her. And one of the things that she talked a lot about, which I think is so marvelous, is that when she had her children, she came home full time. She nursed her babies. She spent time with them. Um, What were, I know a lot of the moms are wondering what what uh, what were like your daily routines? What did it look like day to day for you?
1: Well, my mother always said that women can have it all, just not all at the same time. And so she spent, you know, in the 50s and 60s, she was at home raising her children and yeah. then became very actively involved in the 70s. And as the yeah. loose in the family, I saw that more upfront than oh, any of my, my siblings on mm-hmm. it. Um, but and as she kept trying to say to people who said, well, you know, why are you why are you speechifying on how women should be at home? She would answer, well, children do grow up and they do have lives of their own. Can't <laughs> yeah. exactly be home with them when they're off at college. Yes,
0: yes. It's interesting too, like at the Mission Driven Mom, there's, we have a, quite a few like empty nesters and one of the things they love about the program is it, Reignites their excitement for what they're going to do now that kids are grown, and gives them new focus and direction. So there
1: is, and if you if you care about the direction of our country, and if you care about the the type of country that your children and grandchildren will live in, yes. then you should be involved and engaged. Yes. And the other thing that my mother always pushed was this concept: as homemakers as policymakers. Just because you're mm-hmm. living and working in the home, and of course she said all women work because if you're a mother, you work. So the idea of non-working women is is irrelevant. It doesn't exist, all all mothers work. And that if you live and work in the home, that's no reason for you not to be engaged in what's happening outside the home.
0: Yeah, I talk to moms a lot about using their gifts to bless their community and bringing their children with them and modeling that community effort with mm-hmm. their children so their children can see it. So what was your
1: relationship like with your mother? <laughs> I my mother was a strong and dominant woman. Uh, yes, yes, <laughs> you just need two minutes you know, she loved to talk to, and yes. she wanted people to listen. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, but my I always had a very good relationship with my mother. I think That's wonderful. Uh, and I think anybody from a large family yeah. uh, understands that um, the The uh, experience of the youngest in the child rearing is often very different from the experience of the older children. Yeah. In fact, I, I'm sure that the older children always think that the youngest is getting away with. Murder.
0: Oh yes,
1: <laughs> yeah. And so I I'm so spoiled. Oh, of course. Yeah. But you know what? I reveled in it, and I I uh, used it to my advantage. And <laughs> I, mean, nice. I mean, it's did, the best place to be.
0: <laughs> did you ever get to accompany her places or meet people she was working with? I did. Oh,
1: what's yeah. a
0: what's a favorite memory from that?
1: Well, in the Equal Rights Amendment battle the was it was fought over in a number of states but the mm-hmm. hottest state of all was illinois where oh. it was voted on every single year for 10 years oh my and we grew up in illinois and the state capital was a two and a half hour drive from our house so i many times went with my mother to the state capital in, in springfield illinois to talk to legislators or to have rallies on the uh, um, on the amendment and even once i Testified in front of the state legislature when I was seventeen. Oh wow! It was um, there was something going on all the time, and so wow. it was a, a a regular trip that we took together. Wow! Oh, that's
0: incredible. Tell me about um, simply because we're not a um, we're not affiliated with any particular religion, but we're a God-centered organization. So we I wondered a little bit about if you could tell us about your mother. Your mother's and your family's relationship to God, your parents' relationship with each other, the role that faith played in your family and your home?
1: Excellent question, because a lot of people as have asked me and certainly asked my mother throughout her life, effectively, why are you doing what you do? And everything that she did started because of her faith in God and Jesus Christ. It was. It motivated it her, it was the core, it was why she did what she did um, because she felt that these were fundamental truths that needed to be expressed in the marketplace. Wow. And, and, and these truths formed her political beliefs. Now, the most interesting thing about her and her organization is that most organizations divide along religious lines. Mm-hmm. In other words, the various Christian denominations don't necessarily get together in the same organization. In fact, some denominations feel that other denominations are um, not valid. And my mother was a Roman Catholic, Mm -hmm. but the majority of her followers were evangelical Christians. Mm -hmm. And so that alone was a fundamental difference of forming an organization that brought together people who didn't agree on basic issues, but agreed on political issues. And one of the great lines Phyllis Schlafly would say at her conferences is, you may believe that the person you're sitting next to will not be saved, but you're gonna work together on this issue.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. That is awesome. Um, I had another question. I would love for you to tell us for just a minute about her um, her education we talk we're an educational organization we talk a lot about the importance of self-education especially in classics and great works how they elevate us um how did she discover what her gifts were and decide where she wanted to head educationally and what her education and and kind of preparation for this life's work how did that happen
1: she believed firmly and strongly that women should and ought to be educated. And she Mm -hmm. pushed education throughout her life. She was the daughter of a librarian who had an advanced degree. Um, I I think even her grandmother had a college degree. She believed in, she came from a family that believed in educating women. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there was never a doubt that she would be uh, Mm well-educated. So uh, when she, but she did not come from, any kind of financial security. Mm-hmm. And so when she went to college, she had to work her way through college. Uh, and oh, wow. she worked a full-time, uh, manual labor job, uh, it to, to get her college degree. Uh, she worked as a, as a, uh, testing ammunition in a small oh, my goodness. Wow. world or two. Wow. And then she got a, um, um a scholarship to go to Harvard to get her master's in political uh, science. Uh, Now, interestingly, it was many years later. She was in the political sphere. She was debating and arguing on the Equal Rights Amendment. And one of the key proponents of the Equal Rights Amendment was a senator from Indiana named Birch Bayh. And he said, I refuse to debate Phyllis Schlafly because she does not have a law degree. So my mom <gasps> went to law school.
0: I remember one of the interviews her saying that. I think it was one with Betty Friedan, and she was like, "Well, I'm in law school." I couldn't tell if she was in law school at the time,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, or if she had done it like previously while I
1: don't know raising. She went her to daughter. law school in her in her fifties. Oh, okay. So it was it was yeah. in that time period. It was in that time period, and it was, uh, and she and she wanted to be able to say you know, yes, I do have the legal training to argue these issues. So she never stopped learning. And nor did she ever think that women should stop educating themselves. Yeah.
0: What, did she ever tell you specifically what attracted her
1: about political science? (laughs) Well, it's actually a funny story because you see she had this job at the small arms factory. And because of her schedule there, the classes that fit uh, to for her for her to go to a college were political science classes. That's what determined oh. the classes she took was that it fit in with her work schedule. Oh. And then once she started to take the classes, she really became quite interested in the topic.
0: Wow, just a strange twist of fate. So, there are six children. Um, did she always want a big family?
1: Well, I I think she and. In the beginning, I don't know. She once told me that she came from a family of two. Her husband came from a family of four. Well, maybe those were good numbers, but you know, <laughs> if you're having a good marriage and you're having fun, things just happen.
0: Oh, that's adorable. So she, not- and, you
1: know, at one point she said, well, wouldn't it have been fun if I had had twice as many children? I mean, she loved it. She oh. loved me.
0: So, so what about your parents' relationship? How did, your, how did they... Um, get along? How did they work with each other? How did he feel about the work she was involved in?
1: I think this is critical. My mother, Phyllis Schlafly, could not have done what she did if there were not Fred Schlafly, because Fred Schlafly supported her in the four crucial ways, financially, emotionally, spiritually, and intellectually. They were on the same page, and You know, she took a lot of slings and arrows getting out into the public. And what made it okay is that she would come back home to this unbelievable security, that that kind of security that a good marriage can give where you know it doesn't matter what happens in the world because you are safe with your husband.
0: That's so beautiful. One of the things, Anne, honestly, I was watching the trailer for the mini series. And there's that moment, <clears throat> I don't know, maybe two thirds in where she comes in and there's a, like a fight between them. And he's like, what are, and what are you doing? And this is, you know, I don't know. I can't remember exactly kind of a taxer, you know? And I thought I'm asking Anne about that specifically, because I bet that's not what went on.
1: It's important to remember that the show that FX and Hulu are putting on uh, later on this month is fictional. They have made it up, and no, that no scene of like that ever happened between my parents. They are trying to make it into a contentious marriage, and to um, I get the impression they all they almost want to make it in that it was a Pygmalion that that um, kind of situation. Mm. Fred, you know, pushed Phyllis out to mm-hmm. uh, do these things out there. Yeah, and nothing could be further from the truth. They, in they were very much in agreement, um, in on all issues, mm-hmm. and they loved debating and talking about the issues with mm-hmm. each other. They, Fred, was never more um, happy than when his buttons would burst when she would be on the national media proclaiming the views because he was always so proud of her. Mm-hmm. You know, we were in a, uh, we grew up in a small town in Illinois. Mm-hmm. And so the local newspaper, uh, you know, they never, when she was in the news, they mm-hmm. never said Schlafly or Phyllis Schlafly. They always just said Phyllis because everybody knew who she was talking about. <laughs> and Because of that in our small town, my father, who was who was a lawyer, prominent lawyer in the town, he was always known as Mr. Phyllis, but it didn't bother him in the bit. He thought it was great. Well, that's adorable. Um,
0: You know, it just made me think too, that was probably a really important and helpful training ground for her to have those debates with him and to talk them through with a man so intelligent and so well-prepared to understand it for himself which armed her. And it is a fight that really only a woman could have fought. It was a woman's battle. And there, you know, was a hundred times more powerful for her to be on the stage next to women saying, yes. this is what women want. And this is what they believe. And, and, and I represent a large part of the population that
1: you're ignoring. That's exactly right. And that's why she, her message resonated is yeah. because she represented women who had been silent and hadn't, Talked about these issues, and that the um, elite women who were pushing the Equal Rights Amendment, they tend to dismiss and discount their views and their life choices. Yeah, I remember watching
0: a, a documentary on the feminist movement, and of course the the feminine the feminine mystique and and the I can't remember the formal name that they called it, but basically the book clubs that formed and. And, and women reading and discussing this. And it's so fascinating because it's portrayed as if it just permeated every home. And every woman in America read that book and identified with every sentence and knew that it was absolutely true, that they'd always felt that way. And it was, it's really um, all the other women that Phyllis was representing are just dismissed in those discussions, you know, as if As if there weren't anyone that read it and felt uncomfortable or didn't agree, you know?
1: What Betty Friedan, who is the author of The Feminine Mystique and the godmother of the feminist revolution, what he described home as a comfortable concentration camp. And I think for those of us who have a home, maintain a home, try to build a loving home, concentration camp is not what it is. It's a sanctuary. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So, let's get into the the ERA portion of it. So, she's I know that um, she had even run for office before she started having children, but wasn't
1: elected and they they well, started likewise, it- she 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 ran for Congress twice. In 1972 and 1970, we live in Southern Illinois. Oh, California,
0: that was after. Okay, which was I, a heavily
1: Democratic area. Right. And as a Republican, and right. uh, I think um, I think both the uh, political runs were long shots. Yeah, yeah.
0: I I don't know why. I got the impression from the way one of them was stated that it was like right out of college that she ran. But anyway, so this may so she's. She's raising her children. And then at some point um, she wrote that first book. Um, Oh, I don't have the name of it. The
1: name of the first book she wrote is called A Choice, Not an Echo.
0: That's right. A Choice, Not an Echo. Uh, What caused her to write that book and begin to, because I feel like that book kind of really, she, I think she already knew some important people from things that she did before and through her husband and everything, but it, it seemed like, from what I what I researched, that that book was the, a beginning catalyst
1: for what came after. It made a name for herself, okay. uh, and what happened was is that she had been active in Republican Party circles, and okay. she had worked for the Republican Women's Organizations, uh, and um, and because of that, she was giving speeches and going to events uh, for. Uh, Republican women who of course are you know really the worker bees of the of party politics they're the ones who stuff the envelopes and knock on the doors and and try to get candidates elected and she was quite actively involved in that and after uh, President John Kennedy was assassinated it suddenly seemed to be not not a good idea to give a red meat uh Political speeches. That wasn't the mood of the country. No one wanted to talk about, you know, they wanted a more, um, uh, a speech that wasn't so Mm attacking. So she then formulated a speech, which was the history of the Republican Party uh, conventions and how nominees are selected. Mm -hmm. And that speech became quite popular and interesting. And then she packaged it up in a book called The Choice, Not an Echo. And so it described what she said, which was a cabal of um, of uh, the movers and shakers who select the nominees in the. Smoke-filled rooms, mm-hmm. as opposed to the people getting the choice they want. Thus, mm-hmm. a choice, not an echo. And an echo would be the the same old tired candidates that we've heard before, who are losers and not winners. So she, uh, when she packaged that book up in 1964, there was a candidate that she was supporting named um, Goldwater, and mm-hmm. well, that's right. I remember that. In that, the mm-hmm. book sold heavily. I mm-hmm. uh, and um, was considered quite influential in some of the primaries, going for choosing Goldwater over Rockefeller. Mm-hmm. Awesome.
0: And then I remember there was something about um, someone approached her. I can't remember her name to help him write books on like military strategy or something yes. like that. How? Why did Why did he approach her? How did that come about?
1: Well, in, in the nineteen fifties the crucial issue facing the United States of America was the threat of communism right. and the interest of the Soviet Union in expanding its, its dominion. Right. And, she be, and she and my father really fought very heavily against communism. And they fought against communism from a religious and faith-based uh, a, a opposition, mm-hmm. that communism was godless. And communism did not allow for faith, mm-hmm. or you know, if you believe in communism, you couldn't believe in anything else. Exactly. So she, um, she, because of her uh, fight against communism, she became interested in the military defenses of the United States in a, in in the efforts to repel such an attack if it were ever to happen. And so she became quite um, well versed in military issues concerning the US Armed Forces. Right. So, so this uh, retired admiral um, joined uh, with her, and they co-authored, I think, five or six books on the military in yeah. the United States in the late 60s and early 70s, including an 800-page book on what the Secretary of State at the time, Henry Kissinger, had done, because she believed that Kissinger was gutting the military as opposed to protecting Americans, and and it's interesting because her long-standing interest in military and the competency of our armed forces came together with her view of the family and opposition to the equal rights amendment, because uh-huh. her most powerful argument was that ERA would force yeah. the uh, draft of yeah. drafting of women and yeah. force putting women on the combat front lines. Yeah. So it does two things. It, it hurt, harms women, mm-hmm. harms young harms, the mothers who have to leave their babies and go mm-hmm. off and fight wars mm-hmm. and it also harms the military effectiveness of our armed forces if we have to have women on the front lines. As she liked to say, there's no army we're going to fight where they have women on the front lines.
0: Yeah. 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 I've thought about that a lot in recent years as that's become more prevalent. And one of the things that I've also thought about, I'm sure she thought about this too, is uh, what it does to the men that are trying to fight side by side with those women, Absolutely. because it is their nature to be protective and yeah. they're not going to be able to mm-hmm. fight alongside a woman in the same way that they would a man. It's just contrary to human nature, human nature it just is yeah. how they interact and they and just can't said. interact with women on the front the way that they can with men and, and, and with men. And it, it, it weakens their position to do what they need to do. In battle for
1: sure. No question. Uh, You know, she always felt that feminism would um, seek to redefine human nature and reorder human nature, and ultimately you you cannot redefine the biological differences between men and women. Yeah, yep,
0: absolutely. So give us then a little bit of a timeline She's written a, a choice, not an echo. She's worked on uh, military tactics. She's fighting communism. And, and, and somewhere in, in all of this, we've got the Phyllis Schlafly Report, Eagle Forum, and, and the fight for the ERA. So how does that, what's that timeline look like? And how did she get to, to the point where she was actively fighting the Equal Rights Amendment?
1: The Equal Rights Amendment Um, was introduced and passed in 1972 uh, Mm -hmm. by both the House and the Senate. And the way constitutional amendments work, they need a supermajority of Congress and a supermajority of the states in order to be put into the Constitution. Uh And in 1972, there was some you know at the cultural moment there was just this um, steamroller of passing things to to open up and change and equality was a was a buzzword at the time mm-hmm. and everybody wanted to get on board with the equality buzzword mm-hmm. so it passed with with virtually no opposition congress and then got sent out to the states mm-hmm. and and my mother you know wasn't paying attention to it and somebody i think she she tells me the story that somebody called her up and said just read up about it trust me you'll be opposed to it, so <laughs> she, about it she started uh-huh. to realize the implications and then she built up you know to fight it now by mm-hmm. the time she started to lead an opposition to it it had already passed 30 states and it only needed 38. so she had her work cut out for her but what it is, you know, the, the thing is about if you say equality of rights, who can be against that? It's yeah. all, You have to take the time to explain and educate and learn yeah. about it, to understand the harms of it. Because, yeah. you know, the, the gut reaction is to say, yeah, yeah I'm for it. but um, But so it took a number of years to explain and say, this is a bad deal for women. So it slowed down and then states started to rescind their uh, previous ratification of ERA. So by the time 1979 rolled around, which was the expiration, uh, ERA only had, they got 35 states to ratify and five states that had rescinded.
0: So at at what point in that did she become really active in the fight like was some of that rescinding happening because of her work
1: she was pushing the rescissions absolutely she got she she would get um, women uh, motivated in the states to lobby their state legislators and Mm -hmm. uh, she was very proud of the states that rescinded they were that happened because of the of the work of her volunteer eagles in those states
0: so did she? So the Eagle Forum was originally founded specifically to to rally forces to work against the Equal Rights Amendment.
1: Well, in 1972, the um, there was just this loose um, organization, not really an organization, loose group called Stop ERA, and then in by 1974. They, she and her Eagles realized that they needed to formalize the structure of the organization to have something that can not only fight ERA, but be engaged on all the issues that yeah. were affecting of the day. Yeah. So Eagle Forum was legally incorporated in 1975.
0: Got it. I, I remember, um, oh, I wish I would have written it down, but um, she said in one in one video that I watched with her that um the reason that it's called Eagles forum is based on a verse in Isaiah yes I think they I can't shall remember as, as eagles that's right and they
1: shall not be weary they shall not faint yes oh,
0: yeah I remember when she said that it was it was just so beautiful so tell, I know that I
1: know that many
0: of our moms are are um, interested in better understanding and we have watched a couple videos in the group throughout the week and we've been chatting and they've been posting questions but Um, what were some of the specifics that she was, we know that, we know that she was, was clarifying that it would very well put women on the front, so what were some of the other reasons that she felt that the Equal Rights Amendment was so harmful to women?
1: Well, equal, the Equal Rights Amendment does not put women in the Constitution, it puts sex in the Constitution and sex has a lot of different definitions. And, and because ERA does not recognize any distinction or have any exceptions on account of sex, mm-hmm. it would make sex interchangeable in every situation. Men and women would be interchangeable in every, every situation. Mm-hmm. And of course, as we know today, sex has a lot of other definitions than people were talking about in the 1970s. I mm-hmm. think there are things today that would have been unimaginable in the 1970s. Mm-hmm. But it's um, it's important to remember that in 1973, the Supreme Court ruled in Roe v. Wade on abortion. Yeah. And f- right from that moment, my mother saw that ERA would be another way of putting abortion into the constitution because if you can if you can't make any distinction on the basis of sex well then you can't say that some medical procedures are treated differently from other medical procedures i.e. taxpayer paid abortion and in fact there um uh, both New Mexico and Connecticut, which have state ERAs with similar language as to the national ERA, the state Supreme Courts have ruled that the states must pay for abortions in those states. So so you get, um, you get these kinds of uh, other issues that you might call them, whether they're the intended or unintended consequences mm-hmm. of the proponents, mm-hmm. they, they weren't talked about as important issues until my mother brought them up because yeah. ERA was attempted to be sold as this feel-good uh, amendment that women would feel that they were now represented in the Constitution, which is not the case, but it would have tremendous harms to women because because then there that the and I think there's something like 800 different laws that make a distinction on the basis of women and men that that are done for good biological and protection reasons for women, like workplace accommodation for pregnant women. I mean, the, you know, laws that, that nobody disagrees with, they would, uh, would be overturned under such an amendment.
0: Wow. Wow. So what... Um... I remember there was, and I can't remember if it was the Houston rally. Yes, in 1977. Um, it, it seems like that's the one that she talked specifically about um, praying that she could get a thousand women there.
1: 20,000
0: women. It must have been a different one, it must have been an earlier rally then. Oh, but... the
1: thousand women was in Springfield, Illinois.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was it...
1: 1975.
0: It was an early one. That's right, and she prayed specifically to get a thousand people there because she felt that that would um, build excitement and support momentum. and and momentum and help help the outsiders see how serious the movement was and how you know well populated it was already. And
1: I think it's important to realize that my mother never held any position in government or in a, that's true or in a, or in a, you yeah. know, in any kind of business. She never held a position. She she lives in a small town in the middle of the country and flyover land. And her opposition in 1975 were um, three presidents, all the media, both the Republican and the Democratic Party platforms were fully in favor of the Equal Rights Amendment. And it was seen as a fait accompli that this is what should be done. And so just from her home, in in a small town she was a, to organize first 1000 people in springfield illinois mm-hmm. and then 20000 in houston texas to counter the government funded rally that they were having in houston at mm-hmm. uh, the international year of the women's conference mm-hmm. so these are these were you know rather remarkable but they were remar- but they happened because her message resonated they yeah. wouldn't have happened if she wasn't speaking truth yeah yeah, absolutely. Uh, did, your, did, did
0: your mother ever tell you what she um, was most proud of or felt was the most important contribution she'd made? Her six children. Mm. I remember her um, talking about one of the things I just absolutely loved that she said in one interview was that nothing she ever accomplished outside her home basically was as marvelous as what she accomplished in it and that it was no more glorious or joyful to lead rallies than it was to bathe her children yes and uh oh that was just so beautiful
1: because if you if you realize she did the rallies outside because of her interest in her children's lives yeah yeah so one of the
0: things, and, and maybe you have more to say. I'm not sure, but I would love for you to just tell us some things that you that you know about Mrs. America that you feel are being portrayed wrongly, that we should look out for.
1: So, um, this is a fictional drama uh, that's mm-hmm. put together, starring Kate Blanchett, who is an, an accomplished actress as my mother. She gets the hair and the makeup and the clothing right. She looks mm-hmm. good. I yeah. have- <laughs> She did look a lot like her, actually, when I was watching the trailer. But what she misses, she doesn't have the warmth. She plays her cold, cruel, calculating. And that misses the whole thing because you cannot be an inspirational role model if you are cold, cruel, and calculating. Um, And she was a role model and an inspiration and a leader of women. Women followed her. Women were devoted to her. Yeah. But the way she uh, is portrayed in this fictional drama, and they do have a message and agenda. The writers and producers have said they disagreed uh, with what her work was, and they want to do this in order so they can show her and paint her as some kind of of monster, and mm-hmm. that we made this terrible mistake in the 1970s, and we need to we need to rectify it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is their purpose in this show. Uh, and so, to that end, you know, she's portrayed as all on one side, and then you have all these interesting other people, women on the other side, who who are trying to battle her. Uh, so I'm afraid that some of the liberties that they're taking, uh, and and the problem is with Hollywood is that you know when their work lasts forever, so I can you know because it'll it'll always be there and always accessible to people, and people won't all you know understand to go to the truth, but they they miss getting it why she was successful because if they misinterpret um the beauty of her marriage or the strength of her convictions or the devotedness of of her eagle volunteer women well then they misunderstanding why she was successful yeah yeah so important and one of the things. I think that is important on, on my mother's career is she very much believed that leaders were made, not born, and that anybody could be a leader. Yeah. And she worked hard in promoting and, and advising and helping the yeah. women coming along with her. Um, I mean, for example, you know, when and this happened many times when someone would, you know, get really involved in a particular issue. You know, my mother would then encourage that woman to start her own organization just to do that issue and then work in collaboration with her. So that kind of, um, of helping is, um, you know, that that's what makes for a successful movement when you can duplicate yourself. Yeah. Wow. That's wonderful. Um,
0: what is one thing you want people to remember about your mother?
1: I think anyone can be a success uh-huh. and that anyone can achieve what they want. And they don't have to rely on somebody else to give it to them. You can make your own way because my mother did. She yeah. through force, faith, determination. She made it. Um, But, and she'd made it on her terms. Yeah. As she said, the only person she ever had to please was her husband. Oh, that's so sweet.
0: Um, and just, just for us as, as, as mothers and women who want to know more and want to get to know her better, what would be, um, maybe her one or two books, um, what, what would be a, a most important resource for us to learn more about her? Where would you where would you steer us?
1: Well, there are two biographies that were written about her, and both biographies are are quite good. One is a more personal biography called The Sweetheart of the Silent Majority, and the other one is a is a historian's biography of her called um, Phyllis Schlafly and Grassroots conservatism Mm -hmm. Uh, and both are very accessible and approachable Mm -hmm. Uh, my mother did write a whole bunch of books on a whole bunch of topics Mm -hmm. I think the uh, military books are probably a little well (laughs) time maybe a little dense yeah yeah Uh,
0: what is is there is there one speech or one something of her her writing or creation that you think best represents her
1: well um and we have it, what we, we put together a website to counter the fictional drama that FX is putting on. Called oh, great. MrsAmerica.org. And great. at MrsAmerica.org, mm-hmm. we have compiled a lot of the, of the good videos that she did. And probably the one that is the, the, the best to watch is called Doing the Impossible, where she great. recounts in her own words, the fight on the Equal Rights Amendment.
0: Oh, great. Okay, perfect. I'm excited about that. If you have a few more minutes, we do have a few questions. Oh, I love
1: questions.
0: Okay. All right. I wrote a few down that came in earlier. And if you have time, we'll see. The chat has just been going crazy. They're all chatting like crazy with each other. Um, I know you probably can't see it, but there's just a lot of wonderful, flattering things about you and about her. Um, So this this is a question that came in from Sarah. She said, do you think that as a child... Um, all of your, all of the time that your mother was investing into her political activism was taking away time with you? Or did she wait until you were older to start that mission? You did address this a little bit. I'm not sure how old you were when things really ramped up, but she followed it up by saying it's hard to know when is the right time to pursue those outside interests. So, so what would you say to Sarah? I'm
1: sure, I'm sure you're right. It is, as for a parent, it is hard to know, to balance that. And there always comes a point where the, the the child is as you know as we were more interested in our own thing than we are hanging around our parents. <laughs> <You know? laughs> There's a problem with helicopter parents, right? <laughs> yes, yes. Yep. Totally. Um, but um, my mother was a very engaged mother, and okay. uh, and there was no question that she, um, you know, paid a lot of attention to uh, uh, her children. And, um, you know, I certainly remember at one point and maybe it was about eighth grade, uh, when, uh, you know, she wanted to help me with my homework and, um, it she, I think the help was a little bit too much. And I ended up getting an A on the piece. And I thought to myself, <laughs> you know, I don't feel, but I don't feel any sense of accomplishment yes, for myself. Yes. And so I, I tried to, I, I don't think I, I made sure she never helped me again because, yeah doesn't seem right for, yeah. for, for that. Uh, yeah. And I think there's a point where you have to become your own person and out there. Now, yeah. the ERA fight uh, went on from, um, I guess, started when I was about eight and then went to um, 18. So that was the, the range of the 10-year battle on it. Yeah. And so, as I said, um, I was there answering the phone mm-hmm. and uh, part of it, but um, I was also in school.
0: Do you and did you feel at the time like she communicated well with you why it was important did you have a sense of of the importance of her work did that help you to to support her
1: Yes because my mother was a talker and my mother talked all the time so mm-hmm. you were never in doubt of what she was thinking feeling believing at any given time she talked it and yeah one of the rules that she always had in our family was the family dinner at six o'clock every night, no matter what. We sat down for dinner at six o'clock and we talked. Wow. Oh, that's awesome. Um,
0: Sandy had a question uh, about, and, and, and maybe this is for the time with the ERA, but also for today. She says, what alternatives were there to create our equality for women? Did the feminist movement help or harm single mothers?
1: Well, I think there were, have always been alternatives. And the problem with the feminist movement is creating a culture that you are a victim and oppressed. And it's a mindset. And that's what my mother fought against is to say, mm optimistic and you can achieve more Mm -hmm. rather than claiming victimhood. In the mid 1960s, there were a number of laws passed that were quite beneficial to the advancement of women, including, for instance, Equal Pay for Equal Work Act in 1963. That's how long it's been around. So, So in the 1970s, when this argument came up of ERA, my mother kept asking, well, what benefits would it give? And yeah. it actually give any new benefits that yeah. women didn't already have or already achieve. Yeah. So there's no, um, you know, benefit out there for yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, great. Um,
0: Carolina said, I was a feminist before embracing Christianity, and then I felt I didn't need it. Basically, I, I shortened up her questions a little longer, but basically, because The issues were handled in her faith. She felt that Christianity managed some of the equality of the sexes better. But she said, how did your mother's Christian faith influence her involvement in the opposition of the ERA? You've said a little bit about this, if
1: if you have anything else to add. Well, her faith was very crucial uh, to it. And and her faith that men and women were inherently biologically different with two roles because yeah. women have babies and men don't. And women wanna nurture their babies and women want uh, protection and security for their babies. Um, all of those played a, uh, an, a role into saying, this is why men and women are not interchangeable in every situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um,
0: here's another one, this is from Nina, she says, I believe in some of the positive things that the feminist movement has brought about, but I believe it's been twisted and distorted. How do we join the movement today and stand up for human rights and women's rights without getting caught up in the twisted and corrupt parts of the movement?
1: Well, I guess we have to go back to the question of, is the feminist movement a positive or a negative in our lives? And, um, um, And if you look at the movement of the 1970s, it was a negative movement for most women. And the the famous line from the 1970s, it was actually often ascribed to Gloria Steinem, but um, I, she, I heard her speak once that she didn't actually originate it. But the line was, a woman needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle. And I think telling and pushing women that men are irrelevant in their lives mm-hmm hurts a lot of us who not only want to get married, we want, we are married. We we enjoy our successful marriage and being married is a huge part of our happiness in life. And I think when you're all said and done at the end of your life, if you have had a happy, successful marriage, it's the most important accomplishment that you have because yeah. it provides so much satisfaction in your life. Yeah. And, and, and the feminists of the 1970s effectively wanted to ban and erase men yeah. from women's lives. And that is, well, it's certainly not what I wanted. And I, and I think for a lot of women, getting married uh, to a wonderful man is, is a goal that is desirable.
0: Yeah. And, you know, the corollary to that, um, a byproduct of that, too, has been that then what gets communicated is that dads aren't important in children's lives, mm-hmm. right? And so then, then, you know, you try to erase the whole family and, and that steals well, joy from everyone. And we don't the, even meet each best, other's needs yeah, in that way.
1: The best indicator of success for a child in, in, in such areas as education Yeah, an intact family, that they're more likely to graduate high school and graduate college if they come from an intact family. Yeah. Yep.
0: All right. Do we have other questions? Do you have other questions for Anne before we finish up? I wrote down the ones that I had found in the group. I can scroll through here and see if there were some that came up earlier. I was paying really close attention. Um. In, you're right, Sarah. In the end, the, ER, the Equal Rights Amendment was not ratified, so it was oh, not yes, ratified. Oh yes, we should
1: clarify it failed ratification. Yes, and, and the reason that we're just talking about it today is because they're trying to bring it back. They pushed it through in a couple of states recently. It's it's not a legal thing. There now, there's now litigation in in several states, which will have to be eventually decided by the Supreme Court. But you know, ultimately when we amend our constitution, it should be something that a supermajority of Americans want, not something just pushed through under the dark of night.
0: Right, so you're saying this uh, show is part of that uh, media movement to, yes. to, yes, to bring most the Equal is. Rights Amendment. And the producers
1: yeah. have said that, that that is part of their purpose.
0: Oh, wow, they've even said that. Oh, uh, sure. Sarah, Sarah, wow, that's amazing. Sarah asked the question, how did the show come about and who approved it? Well, nobody
1: approved it. I have, <laughs> seen the show. I've, I've asked FX to, to yeah. I've, I've, I've attempted to contact them, the producers, and they have no interest in talking to me. They have no interest in learning the truth. They already, they came to this subject matter with their minds already made up as to wow. what the characters would be. Wow. That's crazy.
0: All right, um, let me scroll back down here. Do you have any resources for slandering, Sarah? I'm not exactly sure
1: what you. Oh, mean. I think what she means is is whether slander and defamation would um, would be you know could I oh, use? Oh,
0: do you have any recourse? I thought it said resources. Do you have any recourse for
1: slandering? So, you know, unfortunately, when someone is dead, you can't defame a dead person. They're yeah. dead. I have noticed over the years, many times attacks and vicious attacks happen to people once they die, because then the attackers know they can get away with it, because there is no recourse, uh, other than the history books. To when when someone is attacked after they die they can, they're not there to speak up for themselves yeah. so that's why i am so pleased at the number of women who knew phyllis are are speaking up to say this is the phyllis i knew so yeah. on our website mrsamerica.org we have all kinds of testimonials from you know my friend phyllis and the, the, how mm-hmm. she helped me and who she was because that's the that's the pushback is to say they got it wrong. They missed it. It's her story is a great story, yeah. too bad they missed it. Yeah, yeah, um, and it's, it's
0: interesting. I'll just tell the moms that are here with us. Um, next week, I was gonna announce this at the beginning of the week. Next week, we'll be back here talking to Gail Rizika, who's, who I am so excited to interview. Uh, found out from, I knew she knew Anne, but turns out that not only is she good friends with Anne, but was very close friends with Phyllis. So she may be able to give us a friend's perspective on Phyllis as well as telling us her story, because she's definitely a mission-driven mom that we can oh, yes. learn for, from, and oh, she's an amazing woman. Mm-hmm. So, so we have the question, who was Kate Millett?
1: Yes, Kate Millett was part of the feminist movement, uh, in the early 70s, uh, mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember the name of the book that she wrote that got such a such a big publicity. But it, her story, you should really read her sister's story, her sister, Mallory oh. Millett. And that is on our website, mrsamerica.org. Oh, nice. It's Mallory Millett's story of her sister, Kate. And it is fascinating uh, because Mallory draws the destruction of feminism through the life of her sister, Kate.
0: Is Kate the one that was um, from England and lived alone later in
1: life? And I don't know if I have. No, I think you're thinking of Jermaine Greer. Kate Millett was actually, I think, from Minnesota. Oh, that's right. Um,
0: Okay. So they're asking for, and this came to my mind as well. You know, you were saying, you know, we don't, we don't have legal recourse, but but what we can do is let the truth about Phyllis be told now and, and move forward. So you have your, your website. Um, this is Nicole asking, um, let's see, should, oh, oh, no, it's further up. Anyway, they were, they were asking, what are some other resources that we could use to, to educate friends and family and, and other people that they
1: know? Well, certainly, there's it also
0: says give us some ways to educate the public, sharing the website, etc. What else could they do?
1: Sharing the website, mm-hmm. um, sharing, obviously, we are engaged in social media mm-hmm. on the story of uh, Phyllis Schlafly. Mm-hmm. I did, and this was kind of fun, um, I published last month uh, uh, her favorite recipes. It's a, a ah! Phyllis Schlafly cookbook, uh, yes. because I want to, she was a human being and I want to humanize her because they Hollywood has a different view and they, they're not making her into a human. Yeah. Uh, And so she loved it. You know, she had all kinds of great recipes. So we've got that available. Oh,
0: that's awesome. She, I remember that one of on one of the videos it showed um, when she was running for office, they came to the house and took a picture of her with her apron on cooking. they caught her in the middle of making, making dinner for her and she's like okay well that's the picture you want i guess
1: so so when my mother ran for congress in 1952 and yeah. this was a heavily democratic district and she was kind of a put-up candidate but her slogan was a woman's place is in the house the u.s house of representatives <laughs> oh that's
0: why they had that picture of that um okay so here's another question um why the push and what rights are they missing? I'm not sure I understand your question, Nicole.
1: Uh, Why are they pushing for ERA today?
0: Oh, it says one of the pushes is the LGBTQ rights. One of the videos I watched of her made it sound as if they have all the rights they need basically and should not benefit from family rights. So I don't know if you have anything to say to family rights. I guess I'm not exactly sure what she's asking.
1: Well, certainly because as I mentioned, The equal rights amendment talks about sex yeah sex includes lgbtq and who knows what else
0: yeah okay so this is sarah could women have gotten the right to vote and the right to work after being married the right to be other than secretary school teacher without the feminist movement yes
1: because they already had i mean there were i mean if if there were many successful women women did things um you know well before the feminist movement it wasn't the feminist movement didn't need to do that i'm you know my my grandmother was uh, em, uh employed as a uh, librarian for the st louis art museum uh you know as i said she had an advanced degree you know women were if women wanted to achieve they certainly could yeah one of the
0: one of the debates um between phyllis and and betty uh she was talking about you know, I'm in law school. Nothing bars women from getting any kind of education they want or having the career that they want. And that was one of her arguments. You know, yeah. many of, of, of the, the different ones that that were against the Equal Rights Amendment. And then um, Betty made a comment about, well, it's going to keep, you know, women. There are certain schools women can't get into. And 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 Phils kept saying, what school? Name me a school. And and she she wouldn't name one. And <laughs> she yeah, pressing her to name a school. And and Betty, of course, had no recourse, uh, for, for what Phyllis was stating because clearly factually, you know, it was in the
1: 1970s, there were schools that were sex segregated. We don't have sex segregated schools today, but there certainly were a lot more sex segregated schools in the 1970s. And -hmm. there were people who wanted to go to either all male or all female schools. Right. There are only a, a handful of those that exist today. Yeah. Again,
0: The website has all kinds of resources for us. It does.
1: We haven't, you know, I I want to follow up with the question that someone asked of what can I do? Yes, great. Eagle Forum exists today and Eagle Forum is thriving. And I invite you to join because I think of us as a powerful member-driven organization that does influence the policy Yes, yes.
0: Uh, yeah, Kim just asked, um, you might have joined us a little bit late, Kim, uh, Anne is the chairman of Eagle Forum. She's wondering if if any of your siblings help
1: with any of that as well. And, Eagle, and I'm the only uh, family member in Eagle Forum, uh, but I'm proud to work with women who worked with my mother. I mean, the two of our board members were with my mother when she founded the organization in 1970. Oh,
0: my heavens. And they've been there that long <laughs>
1: Well, you know, grandmothers are pretty powerful
0: people. Yeah, well, that's amazing. Um, let's see. Are there publications they can subscribe to yes. to be more informed? The Eagle Forum. What, w- what would you recommend?
1: We have the Eagle Forum report, which is mm-hmm. a monthly newsletter mm-hmm. uh, that that um, we mail out, and um, mm-hmm. I think it's uh, I, I think it's great. Our issue this month is entitled. Um, who owns your child's face, and how the uh, big data are take are taking the pictures of children and exploiting them?
0: Wow, yeah, there's that form when you sign up in school to give permission for any pictures taken in school you to be able doubt. to be used. Yeah, you can.
1: It's it's yeah. difficult, but you should. To <laughs> yeah, you child. should.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Are there? Um, Let's see. Oh, there's so much activity. There's so many questions. Um, yes, yeah, Sarah, we'll, we'll go back through and make a list of the biographies and the website and the publications that Anne has recommended for sure.
1: And, and you, they're, they're, we talk about them on our website, America.org, too. Oh, very nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think they also mean being
0: more, being better educated, I mean, the school systems haven't done them any service. And that is something that at the Mission Driven Mom, we do, we do work on as well. But I think they're wanting to, to have trusted resources to yes. hear about you know, political issues and to be informed and educated in a better oh, way. Oh, yes, so, yeah. absolutely. Julia asked if there's any podcasts that you recommend.
1: Uh, well, the Eagle Forum podcast. Of oh, is there one? Oh, there you go. <laughs> we have a podcast called Engage with Eagle Forum.
0: Uh Mm Uh-huh. And And do you have, how does that one work? Is that you
1: speaking other people's guests? I have been on it, but it's actually um, done by um, two women who um, work in our Washington office. Mm -hmm. I, uh, um, Kristen Hasler and um, Tabitha Walter are the, are are the, um, um, hosts of it. Mm-hmm. And they've interviewed a lot of very interesting people and taken on a lot of interesting uh, subjects. And of course, podcasts are having their moment in the sun right now. Oh, so
0: seriously. Yeah, for sure. But
1: it's called Engage with Eagle Forum.
0: Engage with Eagle Forum. Yes. Um is the feminist movement responsible for the fact that we can no longer have organizations that cater to one sex or the other, for example, the boy Scouts, this organization used to cater to the needs of only boys.
1: Well, I think there are a a number of reasons that the boy Scouts have had some troubles. Uh, And the boy Scouts taking girls, well, the girl Scouts immediately objected. And I think there was um, was there litigation on that between the Boy Scouts and the Girl Scouts? Yes. I, <laughs> oh, uh, I, that. I I think there are times if people want to be in an organization that is only men or only women or only boys or only girls, who are we to say you sh- you can't have? an organization? I know. Absolutely. Well...
0: I don't see any new questions, Anne. You've given us a lot of your time today. It is my pleasure to be. Oh, it was our pleasure to meet you and spend time with you. We'll definitely look into these resources and start subscribing and sharing out. I've been encouraging the moms to share out this event. Will uh, what's great about about. Um, about our group is it's shareable. So they can actually share out the event all over Facebook and then we can share it out through podcast as well and share the resources and well, things good. like that. And, and yeah. tag
1: Eagle Forum so we can uh, follow along also.
0: Oh, great. Yes, I will. We'll do that for sure. Mm-hmm. We'll put that in the in the comments. The moms are saying thank you that you've well, been very gracious and they've learned a lot and they want me to tell you thank you for, for being with us this afternoon. It was, it was a, a joy to meet you. I can see why... Gail loves you so much.
1: So. <laughs> Thank you so much, Andre. Thank
0: you for being here. Have a wonderful day.
1: Bye bye.